today is avoiding the trap of self-pity part two. Praise the Lord. Avoiding the trap of self-pity part two. In my excitement last week, I was trying to lay the foundation. Lay foundation about this topic. And I'll pick it up from where I stopped last week. Praise God. So I did talk about... I've not actually not given you the definition of self-pity according to what I put together. But I did talk about the fact that we live in a fallen world and um, you can't really determine or you don't really have control of what comes your way. But what you have control of is how you respond to situation. I mean, how you respond to situation. Praise the Lord. Right. So uh, let me pick it up from where I stopped last week. So I talked. Last week, I, was, I shared with us, I stopped by sharing with us how we tend to respond to matters in life. Some people go through it, hungry at other people. You know, they, some people want other people to suffer what they have suffered or what they are suffering. Some people wallow in a sense of victimhood. Amen. And um, following on from there, I'm going to be talking briefly about grieving. Grieving. People may say, or people may ask, man of God, pastor, should we not grieve? Should we not feel pain when things happen to us in life? Right? Are we not denying reality? So I want to say that it is important that we recognize a pain for what it is. That it is a pain for many reasons. One, so that you don't do if it was inflicted in, on you by somebody else, it's good for you to kind of know that this is a painful thing so that you don't do it to other people. Many a time, some people don't realize that the, what they are doing to people is painful, it's wrong until it is done to them. Right? So God is not the cause. God is not the one inspiring, inspiring people to do evil. Let's get it clear. God will never inspire a person to rape an innocent girl. All in the name of he has a plan. He has something he wants the person to learn. I've dealt with all manner of Christians in my life. And I hear things that from a humanistic point of view, it makes no sense. So so God wants a, a girl, for instance, one of the silly things I hear. So God wants to teach a girl a lesson or wants to call her into a ministry to help rape victim. So he allows her to be raped or inspired a man, a madman, a lunatic to rape her to the point of nearly taking her life because he wants to call her into a ministry to help rape victims. That is a bloody lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, so I'm going to carry on with what I'm saying, but something that hit my heart here and I just feel I should touch it. I don't know who this applies to. So if it applies to you or somebody, you know, just take it right. Now, let me be clear on something. Life happens. Things happen, right? And God is so amazing, he will always make something good out of the wickedness or the attack of the enemy on you. But he's not the orchestrator of that evil. So it is very important that we get it right. So you may have gone through some challenges in life and God says, you know what, you've been through this, you can help people out. That does not mean, you know, people in similar situations, that does not mean God brought those things to you to teach you a lesson. God is not the orchestrator of evil. We have countless Bible verses. I know you can count them, but I'll use the word countless. The Bible, for instance, Jesus said in the book of John chapter 5, 
He said, the things that I see my father do are the things that I do. As I see my father raise the dead, as I see my father heal the sick, those are the things that I do. Jesus said, myself and my father are one. Jesus said, whosoever have seen me, I've seen the father. The question is this, have you ever seen Jesus do evil to anyone? You know, I was having a conversation or I've had conversations with people. And when I get to this point, people say, you know what, Jesus and God are different. You know, they are, they are quite different. I'm thinking, what's different about Jesus and God? Have you read your Bible? Jesus said, myself and my father are one. You either take Jesus for a liar or you believe what Jesus says. Do you realize, uh, let me remind us that Christianity is based on the works of Christ Jesus. Christianity, Christian, which, which means follower of Christ. So you either follow Jesus and believe the things Jesus says or you don't follow him at all. And remain in the Old Testament, in the Torah. But bear this in mind, despite the fact that the God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how God dealt with people in the Old Testament is different from how God deals with people in the New Testament. So it is important that we come to understand what we have in Christ Jesus. Talking about self-pity. It's very important that we learn to understand what belongs to us in Christ Jesus. Else, self-pity we hold you bound, hold your life and your destiny bound because of that sense of victimhood, that sense of I'm not, I'm helpless. You know, God, why, why things like this? You know, this is, this is my portion. These things are not right. You, we, such people are talking as if they don't have the resurrection power of God at work on the inside of them. Jesus said, I give you authority to trample upon serpent and scorpion and to overcome all the power of the enemy. All, all, all. It is a song. All the power of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that God has put all things under the, under the authority of Christ Jesus for the benefit and the purpose of the church. Amen. Praise God. So, it's okay to feel a pain. If, it is in, if that pain is inflicted on you by people, bear in mind, I've just covered that, that God is not the orchestrator or the inspiration behind it. Maybe people should go back and read their Bible in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says that Satan, the prince of the power of the hair, who is at work in the mind of children of disobedience. If God says, do not murder, do not commit sexual immorality, do not do this, do not do that, so how would God then inspire someone to do such a, to harm you with such behavior? Is God or is that kind of God all right? Am I making spiritual sense this morning? Believers need to learn to think and study the world, to look at the world. You know, what you will not expect of a person, of a man to do, don't expect God to do such things. Else we are degrading the we are degrading the morality and integrity of God to be, be that to be below that of a human, or to be to be below that of a human being. We expect to be people of integrity, people of high moral standards, and we expect God to do less. It's not right. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's one when it comes to grieving, feeling. Sorry. So the uh, dictionary defines. Grieving as intense feeling of sorrow. Intense, strong feeling of sorrow. Connecting this to self-pity. If grieving is intense feeling of sorrow, 
Should we hibernate or tabernacle or take as a place of permanent residence? Grieving. I repeat, I repeat that question. If grieving is intense feeling of sorrow, feeling of pain, should we make such place, such emotional state as a permanent place of residence? It will affect your health. It will affect everything about you because you will not be on the shouting side of victory, overcoming the challenges and the difficulties of life. Rather, you will be in a trap, held bound by this feeling and this by this feeling and this, this, this challenges that are, that, that, that are in your way. You know, many times, because of the way I speak, people think I don't have challenges. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Lord. You know, some people... <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some things I'm going through and some things that I've been through, even recently, which church family don't even have a clue. If some people go through it, they will be dead. Some people will have lost their mind. What some things myself and Jolomir has been through in the past two years there about that nobody has a clue. If some people go through it, their marriage is gone. And I'm not exaggerating. I know what I'm talking about. But we are still standing. And I have not invited someone to come, to, to come and pity me or hold a pity party. No. People ask me, do you have problems at all? <laughs> How many hours do you have? Where do you want to start from? God has not called me to come and preach my problems. I want to preach the problems and challenges I have. But do you know what helps me to overcome them all the time? I am more than conqueror through Christ who loved me. I will fight with everything I have. Because what I know is this. If it is evil, it is the devil. If it is good, it is God. And the Bible says to me in the book of James chapter 4 verse 7, it says resist the devil. Actively stand your ground against the devil and he will flee. But when you begin to dabble into maybe, ah, you know, we can't show, we can't show. You know, I've asked this question several times. People say, you know, so, you know what, God can bring certain things to you. Please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Listen carefully to this. Part of my mission is to empower the church family to be able to have intelligent conversations with religious people in the world. Intelligent spiritual conversation. So listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And I want every teenager in this church and every adult to be able to ask people this question. I think I'm going to start um, conducting tests and exams in this church to know whether you are taking notes when, I'm, <laughs> when I teach you some things. So listen carefully. When people tell you that God is the cause of a particular uh, calamity in their life to show, them or to, to show them something or teach them a lesson, ask this question. Does the devil do evil? If they say yes, then ask them, how can you differentiate evil in your life or misfortune in your life created by the devil and the ones created by God? How can you differentiate? How? I hope you wrote down because I'm going to ask you, I will test you with this question. How can you differentiate that and listen to what they say? If spiritual things and God were like that, then we have of, we have we are of all men the most miserable. Because the unsaved can still predict what they can get out of relationships with people that they respect or whatever they, you know. But for us as believers, when we are not sure, okay, we don't know. So, okay, what an unstable life. Amen. So it's okay to grieve, but it's not okay to take grieving as a place of permanent residence. 
And some of the things that makes us to take grieving as place of permanent residence is a, self of, is a sense of helplessness, of victimhood. I tell you, I know what I'm saying. I've done study, I've done research, I've looked into my life, I've been meditating on this for a while now. And everyone can go check themselves. Each time you are living as a each time you take, you are so self-focused, angry, sad. Take your time to do a thorough analysis, praying and writing things down. You realize that behind the uh, prolonged grieving is a sense of victimhood, victimhood or selflessness. So sorry, self. What do you self not. Self-centeredness and self-pity is what I'm saying. No, there's another word. Feeling sorry for yourself. You can see that I'm still passionate about that message that I taught on living a selfless Christian life. Hallelujah. Let's carry, let's carry on. So I'll call out a few bullet points in my notes here. I said, it is okay to grieve, to feel the pain of what you are going through, to be tired of it, but not to sin. Because many people in their grieving state... They, they start doing some horrible things. So pe some people resort to substance abuse, sexual immorality, and all kind of stuff. Harming other people because of the pain. Amen. And there are many reasons why it's kind of good for you to kind of grieve because you, you, some, many times we need to process that pain and put it in the right place. What I mean is this. If someone hurts you, or if a tra tra tragedy and kind of thing happened to you, it's okay for you to go through it, to, keep, to think through it to the point that you have a conclusion, as opposed to, uh, what's it mean? Sweeping on the carpet or lay it aside and adding your emotions about it. I'm not a medical expert, but I can only speak based on how much study I've done and how I've interacted with people and my experience. Because many times, Unresolved grief or unprocessed grief tend to lead to tend to do more harm than good in the future because when they then come back, when they resurface in your weak or vulnerable vulnerable state, sometimes they just they knock people off their feet and they're not able to really stand. I'm, I'm making spiritual sense this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, a Bible believing church. Praise the Lord, Transformers Church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I, you know, if something happens to me, trust me, I'm gonna I think through it. I think through it until I get to, if I don't get to a, a, a conclusion, a resolved conclusion, I don't drop things in my mind. And when did those, these things come to my mind in future, they don't bother me. I've had all manner of things happen to me this year, but I process them. Now, they, they kind of compass or navigation behind my processing of grief is this, or my, my anchor for processing grief is this. God is not evil. The devil is evil. Many times I try to find out if it's not done to me or even when, it's, even things, when things are done to me by people, I try to find out, was God warning me at any point in time about, like, when I was not paying attention? Many times there was, there was warning. So one of the reasons why I process grief and I think in that direction is so that I can shield myself when similar things are showing up in the future. There are things going on in my life right now that some pain that I've gone through is what is helping me to position myself in the place of safety. Because I, thinking back on those issues, I saw where God was warning me. 
you know, it was some, even one very, very close to me, God told me, warned me very strongly twice. He said, this person is not your friend. This person is not your friend. I'm not talking about buddies right now, but someone in, in an extended family. He said, this person is not your friend. But I took them as a friend. I loved them. I was very open to them, you know, poured out my life to them. They had access into my life, not knowing that this person, these people were ungodly people, wicked people. And when they really manifested what they truly are, for two years, mentally and psychologically, I, was, I, I, I couldn't get over it. I was in a kind of a state of shock for like two years. That's how bad it was. But I remember very clearly, twice, the Lord said to me, this person is not your friend. Strong warning in my heart. Even recently, there was a situation we had in church recently. When this family were bringing stuff to my house last Christmas, the Holy Spirit gave me very strong warning. Be careful. Be watchful. Very strong warning. I was not listening until they manifested their character. And for two nights, I was in a shock. I'm like, how can literally on the surface, the seemingly most nicest people around you be the most wicked person on earth? Or the most wicked person you have ever come across? The seemingly extremely nice, helpful, hands-on because of their proximity to you and have access to you be the one of the most wicked person you have come across. So I process pain. I, I, I think all the way back, where was God warning me before things? Because for me, personally, this is my experience and this is my belief at this point in time. There's nothing really that can come your way that God would not have warned you ahead of time. He's, he's a loving father. He sees everything. Most of the time, you are the one not listening. I'll give you an example. I'm going to get into it shortly. So we went into... Okay, when I traveled for my traditional wedding in Nigeria, my mom was knocking on the door of, the hotel, of a particular room in the hotel. And my spirit said, give your brother-in-law to go open the door. I said, come. I said, how can I, how will I send my brother-in-law? Because he's much older than me in age. How could I send him to go get the door? I said, get him to go get the door. I stood up. It was very strong in my spirit. So I stood up and as I got out of, as I was approaching the door, the mist or the steam from the bathroom on the floor, you know, uh, I slid on it. I landed on my elbow with a deep cut. That was, and that was the money of my traditional wedding. So I went through that traditional wedding with a deep cut with a elbow. Even after the cut were eat, I was still having pain on the bone and things like that. Simple instruction. Probably he is wearing shoes that would not make him skid. I was not wearing shoes, so I, on the floor, caught blood. They had to get the guys first aid and stuff like to treat me on the morning of my wedding, a few hours to the church and our wedding. Holy Spirit will warn you. And it's one of the reasons why we need to be key to watch this. Um, everyone listen to me carefully. This is one of the reasons why we have to be very, very careful with the people we, are, we allow around us. Because if there's too much, too much noise in your life and too much distraction, you cannot really hear God. And certain, certain things will happen. Okay, on that thing I need to add to this is before I move on about grieving. So sometimes we lose people. You know? Say for instance, some people you love. I'll give you an example. So there's this lady who, has, who seems to have a, party, a, a concentrated resentment towards God. And why? Three people who are Christians who she loved died one after the other in her life. You know, and these people in her own mind, they were spiritual. 
And we're like, well, why would God kill this person? Why would God allow this person to, to die? I try to help her understand that, you know, you don't know what's going on in the mind of the people. You don't know what they believe. Guys, we look spiritual when we come to church, but you don't know what we do behind the scenes. You don't know who is watching pornography. I don't watch pornography. You don't know what, who, is, who is indulging some sexual, some demonic thing. You don't know what people will do behind the scenes. So for that lady, what, all she goes by is what she can see on the surface. She doesn't even know what people believe. I've seen people who, in the fear of cancer, cancer took over their heart and their life. I've seen, the, I've seen cases on the media that, for instance, there's a particular guy who died of cancer. And I was like, Lord, something is not right here. This, this, this guy's death and issue with cancer is not ordinary. I said, there's something behind it. And God started showing me. He started this charity for cancer people, cancer, um, people living with cancer. And I believe, I'm convinced that along the line, the fear of cancer hit his heart. And he was living in the fear of cancer day by day. I'm not saying that's the reason why a lot of people have cancer, right? But this one, I said, no, this is, in my spirit, I saw that. I said, this is not ordinary. And there's another pastor too that died, who died of cancer. And, the, and so it... The senior pastor died of, I think he had some neurological disease, and then later cancer. And then the assistant pastor died of cancer as well. So, so because these guys are pastors in the church, and he's one of the uh, popular churches in London. So the guy was, so it was affecting the faith of this couple we went to greet. And they said, and when he started talking about it, I was grieved in my spirit. And I had this question for my spirit. I said, was your pastor ever living in the fear of cancer? And said, yes, said it, confessed to me that he is tormented by the fear of cancer every day. Every day. A man living in the fear of cancer every day. Haven't you read the book of Job? Job said, what I feared most has finally come upon me. Praise the Lord. What am I trying to say? You don't know what people believe. You don't know what people are up to. What you can see about people is what they show you. You don't know what's going on in people's secret place. And that is why, you know, God warned me about this. And that's why God, told, God has warned me several times. Don't mind your business. Don't rate your spirituality by the, by the consequence or by the mishaps in the life of other people. I remember when a man, a, a very, very well-known man of God, died of plane crash. I was having my devotion that morning, and the Lord said to me, he said, do not be moved, do not be moved, do not be moved. And he said some other things to me. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm praying you are telling me not to be moved, not to be bothered, not to pay attention. It's like, I don't understand this. So I wrote it down. So when I got on the bus on my way to work, then I saw the, this man had died of plane crash. And he said, and the first thought that came to my mind was, if this man who fears the Lord, can die of plane crash, how much more you? That was the first thought. And the Holy Spirit came like a rushing mighty wind. And he said, this is the reason why I told you you should not be moved. He said, you do not know what's going on behind the scenes. Do you know that that man who died of plane crash, I heard that I think one or two, they, they, they saw kind of warning signs through the keys or something like that, not somewhere back on that journey. But they defied the warnings of the Spirit of the Lord. Because they were going to preach, he was going to preach somewhere. And the families that went with him, all of them died of a plane crash, including his wife. And some Christians say, you know what, his time was full. So it was, his, time, his time was, how do they say it? Is it full? His time has come? His time has come, so God took him. I said, are we all right? So God now takes his people through a plane crash. 
and destroy other lives alongside someone who is not obeying him or who did not follow his instruction and warning signs. Where do we get, are we, I'm not trying to insult us, are we actually being serious? Are we actually being serious? Somebody died of plane crash, somebody died of murder, and we say it was their time. So God does not have another way to, to take people, to, to call people home other than through disaster. What kind of God is that? Even brother Elijah. Elijah went up with a chariot of fire. So God cannot even do another Elijah stunt. Did he not, was it not written about many of our patriarchs that they packed themselves and they slept? They just slept. They took off. So, so people don't know a better way to just take off in peace. We, say, we pray prayers that in peace shall you return to your father. Things like that. So people don't have a better, so God doesn't have a good way to, to call people home other than true, other than true disaster that, will, that breaks the heart of the people on earth and and make them question their faith. Have we been serious? Amen. So talking about grieving, we all need to be very careful how we judge situations. We don't know what people are doing behind the scenes. I'm a pastor. You don't know what I do behind the scenes. I'm not saying I do dirty and dodgy things, but you do not know. Haven't you had several cases of pastors who, who are very spiritual, laying hands on the sick, raising the dead even possibly, and I've been found out to have been molesting kids. Haven't you heard? So why are we not putting one and two together? That to say to ourselves, I don't know what this person is up to behind the scenes. And that's why the Bible says, you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible has never in any place said that you should judge Estimate, value your own salvation, your Christian work, by what other people do. You mind your business. Now, people's challenges or difficulties or mishaps may tend to kind of affect us in a way or in one way or the other, right? Because we are connected to them, we are relational beings and things like that. But I'm trying, I'm saying to you this morning, when it comes to grieving other people who've gone, who are dead, you do not know what's going on in their lives. And you, you, should not be, you should not suffer the consequences of people's death. Sometimes when they are related to us, God forbid, say for instance, for a spouse, you know, if they were, you know, breadwinner or they, you know, they also bring in money into the home. Oh, okay, what I'm trying to say is that in the, in the, in the situation where a, a party dies in the, in, the, in the family, in a marriage, the burden on the other party over the kids kind of increased and things like that. That's why, folks, just pray for your spouse. If anyone can be deceived at any point in time and start believing any kind of wrong motive, any kind of wrong things, but never judge your own spirituality or spiritual life or never put yourself in a position of grief because of what? Because of the mishap in the life of other people. Because people are responsible for their own life. Apart from kids, even kids, to a very much extent, if they, if they, have been, if they know between if they can differentiate between right and wrong. And that is why I'm here as a pastor, to keep speaking to our hearts, encouraging us. You can't be a... You can't... You can't... You can't. If somebody, if someone keeps feeding on greasy food, you know, bad diet, no exercise, and they have... Um, they have the different kind of disease, they call them now, chlorine, adding of the heart of the vein, or what kind of thing, because of cholesterol, kind of stuff like that. Then they die young. And say, Lord, why me? Why has this happened to me? 
Were you not there when they were eating all manner of bad food? Friends, I'm just trying to call out the place of responsibility that people are responsible for their actions and don't hold yourself responsible for people's consequences. Right? People will suffer the consequences of their action. Praise the Lord. Let's carry on. So, talking about grieving, the Bible tells, tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that we do not grieve like the world grieve, like people who do not have hope. Right? We know that Jesus is going to come back and there's a resurrection. There's a final resurrection in a sense of people who, are going to, who have gone on to be with the Lord. They will have a resurrected body. We have a new body when the Lord Jesus returns. We have a glorified body and we live with Jesus forever. So we have a hope. And we have a hope in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should not grieve as if when a person dies, that's the end of it. Even if they suffer a consequence, if, if, even if their death is a consequence of their action, that doesn't mean that you know, we, 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 we lose hope. We're going to see them again. We are the ones who count time in terms of 50 years, you know, they do, like some, this person who has died 20 years ago. Oh God, come on, come on, come on, come on. I thank you for the privilege to help me to see these things that I've seen and learn these things. So some of you may be learning these things for the first time and it may not be easy on you to, to accept this reality. But I'm telling you, if you accept this reality and start meditating on it now to the point that it becomes your reality based on the word of God, you realize that you live a more peaceful life. Praise the Lord. I have a long way to go today. The things, that, the things I've touched on are the things coming out of my spirit, but I still have a long way to go. Lord Jesus, help us in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit said to me, Sunday, don't rush it. I'm like, I want to finish this thing today because next week, well, let's do it. Let's carry on. So recognize that what people did to us, okay, we should recognize that what people did to us is painful. I've covered that. I said, analyze the pain and prayerfully identify what to do with it. But it is not good to create a permanent residence in that state. I must have been meditating on this in so long that without looking at my notes, I'm calling these things out. Praise the Lord. And I said, prolong discouragement and stay in a sorrowful state of defeat or consequences of sin, etc. Uh, will, will, the person will eventually cross the line into self-pity. What I'm saying is this. If you allow prolonged discouragement and stay in a sorrowful, sorrowful state of defeat, or the consequence of your sin, that is regret, you will eventually cross the line into self-pity. So I hope I've done a good job here trying to differentiate grieving and self-pity. I'm, I'm getting to self-pity self much more shortly. It's good to recognize the pain, analyze it, deal with it, right, and move on, but not to stay and tabernacle or, or take as a place of permanent residence your sorrowful state, the sorrowful state. Before I go into today, and I'm going to show that uh, that that image to you shortly, but we're not there yet. I, I want to you can you can go. Uh, thank you, mom. Yeah, I want to say a few things. Christianity is not a call to weakness and tolerance of evil, manipulation, control, or abuse. You know, many times when I I've learned that some things I reluctantly share or say turns out to be things that actually stood out to people. So I'm, I'm now making the practice when I'm preparing my notes and something hits my heart. Even though it doesn't seem like it connects with what I'm talking about, I just write it down and share it with the person that God wants to speak to. Right. So Christianity is not a call to weakness and tolerance of evil. Right. Or, or acceptance of evil. Sometimes there's some evil that you cannot do anything about. You, you don't like it, but you see it happening. Hopefully it's not something you're allowing in your home. 
So some people believe Christianity is a calling to weakness where you allow people to control and run your life all in the name of love. You may say, how does this connect with self-pity? Let's carry on. So what is self-pity? Self-pity, the Bible, uh, no Bible, <laughs> the dictionary defines it as, you know, excessive self-absorbed unhappiness. Excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. Self-absorbed <laughs> unhappiness. Excessive over one's troubles. To feel sorry for yourself. You know, validating your victimhood. Your victimhood in life. Living like a victim. Seeing yourself as a victim. I can do this all day because I, I, I once lived here. And the times I was living like a victim was one of the most, one of the most, uh, what, what do you call it? So I got distracted there. I saw something that I was looking at my, my hand. That was not too bright kind of stuff. I can turn that down a little bit. So, you know, I have a spirit of excellence. And when I, do, when I see something that doesn't look excellent, I tend to, okay, if it doesn't work, we just leave it that way. That's fine. Okay, I think it's getting better a little bit. Yeah. Yeah? It's a little bit. That's fine. Let's, let's carry on. So as I was saying, I used to live in, the, in, in, in victimhood avenue of the streets of self-pity, very close to self-absorption lane. That's where I used to live. And I lived there for so many years. Amen. And it's one of the worst periods and moments of my life. All manner of things happen to me in that state. Amen. So when we say victimhood, who is a victim? A person who has come to feel helpless and passive in the face of misfortune or ill treatment. That was my, our boy's quarters at that point in time. <laughs> a person who has come to feel helpless, helpless and passive in the face of misfortune or ill treatment. Basically, you feel helpless and you don't do anything about it. You coast through life. Friends and family, such a mental state is an abuse of life and destiny. It is a waste of life and destiny to come to us, accept a, a kind of fate, see yourself as a victim and coast through life. You have things like, well, what can I do? What do I do? I'm just there. You see? That's my life. Do you know what you are doing to your brain when you do such things? You are destroying your brain. You are making your, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are switching your brain into an hibernate mode. A mode of inactivity. And when you turn your, when you switch your brain to a mode where it is not working, it begins to paralyze other areas of your life and your body. Demons will, will eat and dine on you. All manner of negative emotions begin to leave their life. They will tabernacle on your life. They will take as a place of permanent residence on your life. You, who Jesus died for. What an abuse of life and destiny. I lived here. All manner of sinful behavior started encroaching on me. So my mind started thinking of dumb, intelligence, useless, unhelpful things. I've been there. Amen. Living on the street of self-pity. 
And when I say self-absorbed, I actually took out this definition so that you can get it in context. When I say self-absorbed, I mean to be preoccupied with your feelings. See, feelings are the, ju- are the worst judge of reality. Feelings, emotions, they are the worst judge of reality. When you are so engrossed in your feelings, you, 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 most of the time you are not checking outside possibility what is beyond, beyond your feelings. You're just inward facing, inward looking. I know this is going to be a journey for many of us because it's going to take some time for us to begin to, to start switching out of this, this, this cage, this trap. And that's why I call it a trap of self-pity. Amen. So, as a self-absorption, Reduces everything to just you. The Bible, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of men. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Your life is, should be such one that has value to other life. Have you found anything in this world that was created to live or exist by itself and to live for itself? Tell me, show me one thing in this world that is useful, that exists for itself, that is useful, that exists for itself. Show me one. And everything that God created, show me one thing that God created that, that existed for itself only. Show me one. Is it plant that becomes that photosynthesis, gives you oxygen, purifies the hair to a very much extent? Even the, the ones that are not, don't produce food that you can eat. Amen. Show me one thing in the world that God created that, that, was, called, that was created to exist for itself. So self-absorption then makes you to focus on yourself. Do you know what it's making you to become? Useless. Even if you can do a job and get paid so that you can pay your bills, you are making yourself useless in the grand scheme of things in the kingdom of God and in blessing humanity and human race. Friends, I know this is going to be a mental challenge for many of us. We've got to fight. Praise the Lord. I wish I could shut down and get us to say some prayers. Maybe we'll do that. It prevents you from moving forward and being present. You don't move forward. You're just trapped. You're just there. You know, you are increasing in age, but in terms of your personality, your, your personhood, you are, you are losing value and worth. You are degrading. That's the word here. You are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. People around you see you as somebody who is growing. Ah, so, ah that uncle, that auntie. But because you're in a state of victimhood, you have degraded so much that you can't add value to other people's lives. So what you have on you is age, not life, not substance, not value. What a life. It's sad that many people think aging means you are getting old, you are getting older, uh, you, are, you are growing. People think aging is the same thing as growing. No, I've met many people in their 60s who, by, with all due respect, 20 some, some 20-somethings are more mature than them. Friends, because to grow is to be changing the way you think, the way you act, taking new information, increasing your capacity to be a blessing, being able to confront the challenges of life, owning things, taking charge of things, advancing the course, taking people on a journey, adding value to life, fulfilling purpose. That is what it means to be growing. You know, I come from Nigeria where some people measure their worth by their age. What do you mean? I'm two years older than him. But many people who are 10 years younger than you are doing better things, great things, affecting life, changing nations. You just have age number on your head. Right? You've been, a, you've been a waste. 
to, to society. But you're counting age. What do you mean? So one, one, someone, someone was trying to get into a fight with me, saying, you know, you know, I'm turning 40, you know, I don't have time for this. Are you? I'm like, seriously? Let me not get into conversation because if the person hears this message, don't feel that somebody is attacking me this morning. No. Because I've looked at this person's life. I'm like, in the past, since you started rolling with this family, your life has not progressed. You are less intelligent now than when I first met you. Because you are becoming funny 40, you think you are now mature. You've been useless with all due respect, as far as I know, in terms of value, because of the people you are rolling with. Praise the Lord. My wife said to me, Tunde, your mouth. That was, that was not... <laughs> Amen. Self-absorption, self-pity, it damages us than we think. Amen. So be, before I shut down, I, I've not gotten into what I really want, what I want to talk about today. Amen. And the people that, you know, the people that this school have hit, just thank God for God today. Amen. Thank God for God today. Maybe I'll give hints before I get into it. So let's look at this picture of uh, the last one. Praise the Lord. I'm enjoying service this morning. Right. So the, the rat one. Yeah, the picture's coming up on screen right now. Okay, I have my own picture there. I don't know if you can. If you, can you close that thing? Uh, don't, don't, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. That's fine. Yeah. So what you have on the screen, on, on the screen right now are traps. Uh, you won't see my face. Yeah, okay. Just leave it here. These are traps, all kinds of traps. So, uh, you know, I said self-pity, avoiding the trap of self-pity. You see, when you are being enticed, to feel sorry for yourself. Feel like a victim. So what you don't know is that the enemy is luring you into a trap. If you look at the one with the brown base, that trap, you can see that it has an entry point, but the exit has been closed. So that exit is only open. That exit will only be opened by the people, by the person who wants to take you captive. So, you know, the, the one end is open, right? If a rat goes in there or a person goes into that, through that one, you know, that, that, that door closes. They can't go out. When that door is opened again, it's to be caught by the person who wants to, who is luring you into that trap. Are you getting me? So, uh, let me look at that. Okay, I think it's just one door. I think... I was thinking the other one is a, is a door as well that can be opened. It looks like it, but that's fine. But I, can, I've seen some kind of traps that a, a rat comes in from one door and they, they take it out through the other door. Are you getting me? So self-pity is a trap. The things I've said earlier on are what I define as trap. Your life is not moving forward. You are confined. You are restrained. So I want to ask you, why do you want to be in these kind of cages? Many of us don't know that we are in cages. Because mentally you are not growing. Emotionally you are not growing. You're not making any progress in life. You're just on one spot. Two, three years, four, five years has gone down the line. You're still on one spot. Why don't you want to stand up and fight for yourself? Is this the best, is this the, is this the best that God has in store for you? Amen. And if you look at the rat on the, it's not the rat, the, the trap on the bottom right. You can see a cheese there. You know why? Because the feeling of self, it feels soothing, consoling. You just go there. You know, it just can't, there's a way it kind of just kind of feels good to go into that state of self-pity and you just stay there. Nonsense! 
Stand up! And the devil trick you with that cheese of feeling. And you go into the place and you realize that you are stuck. Each time, each time most of us go into self-pity, do you realize that it takes so long to come out of it? Some people have not even been able to come out of it. Praise the Lord. We can leave that. We can take it off. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So self-pity is a trap. And based on the, di- diagra- the diagram you saw, the picture you saw, right? You know, dictionary defines self-pity as a device or enclosure designed to catch and retain animals. Typically by allowing entry but not exit. Or by catching hold of a part of the body. Uh, is another definition renders that a situation in which people lie in wait to make a surprise attack. A situation in which some people lie in wait to make a surprise attack. If the enemy wants to catch you and make anything out of your life, and you know, we just need to put you in a cage. So that it confines you. And then it can execute when it wants to. Praise the Lord. Our time is up. Next week, I will be looking at, I've talked about a few things about uh, why self-pity is bad, is, is, is bad for you. Um, I've talked about how, self, um, how self-pitying people see themselves. And I'll go into one of the key things about that. Let me read really line to you. So, and then I'm going to build on this next week. How self-pitying people see themselves. One, this is number three here, but I just, I just want to give you a tester for next week. I cannot build boundaries with people who are hurting me, including my parents. I cannot build boundaries with people who are hurting me. Come to church next week and I will show you how you can legitimately build boundaries around yourself. Parents, some, some parents use this weapon of, I will curse you. If you don't do the things that I ask you to do, join me next week when I, by the Spirit of God, destroy that evil thinking and empower children to stand their ground in Christ Jesus. I want to help the parents if, if such one are listening to me. When you, when, you tend to, when you attempt to curse a child who is a born-again child of God, you are going into war with God. And trust me, you cannot defeat God. Because the Bible says... <laughs> Who the God has blessed, no one should curse. So you want to curse a child because you are not able to control and manipulate them. You are going into war with God. And you may die untimely death. Trust me. Trust me. The Bible says, we are the temple of the Lord. And we'll say about the, who wants to destroy the temple of the Lord, the Lord will destroy the Lord will remove the edge of protection and things around you and the devil will slash you like a piece of rat. People have not seen anything yet. You know all those manipulations and evil things that I see in the world? Join me next week when I, when I can even invite your mother say, or your father or anybody who's so just you start to invite them here because I'm going to destroy that thing because many children must be free from that harassment of the enemy. And I'm also going to show, share with you the things that my dad has done. With regards to this, I have personal experience. What I'm teaching, I'm not faking it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just a teacher. I will go and learn something and come and teach you. I have like a life experience in many of the things I've shared with you in this church. Let's bow heads of prayers. Father, we thank you for this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus, speaking to our heart about grieving, opening our eyes to see the trap of self-pity, and also as you are trying to move us on into other things to, in order to empower us. 
to overcome self-pity. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus. In any way we have allowed self-pity in our lives and in where we are allowing ourselves to be held bound by self-pity, Lord, I pray for us this morning that we'll be able to begin to see those areas of our lives and see our sense of victimhood in, the, victimhood in those areas so that we can stand our ground against the enemy, so that we can live active lives in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray for strength, O oh Lord, in your people this morning, strength in their hearts, strength in their mind. Lord, help them to see the strength they have in them to stand their ground and hold their ground in Christ Jesus to defeat this evil that plagues the heart and the mind of people in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.